Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. Well, Brad, there it is. Free Fallen Tom Petty back here on IP Frequently, the number one business podcast across the country uh, on uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, really, or wherever you get your uh your podcast, uh, your pad- podcast uh, groove on. Uh, we are number one and uh, we're living the dream. Always living the dream. Tom Petty was living the dream. Not, not currently, of course, although depending on your particular worldviews and metaphysics, he may be living an even better dream. But before he left us, he gave us Free Fallen, which is a fantastic tune and very fitting for the times in which we're living. IP Frequently, again, we're brought to you uh, as we are every week by... IPedia, IPedia, the automation of innovation. This week, Brad, a lot going on. A lot of people are wondering how their small business will survive, how their mid-sized business will live to fight another day. And we start, as we always do, with Newsreel, and we talk about some of the uh, happenings with our government, uh, which looks a little bit shaky at this point. Uh, They're the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, I would say, of world governments. What do you think about that? Uh, Yeah, if you're looking for a world government, and of course, there are people out there who are who live in constant fear that the world government is right around the corner and thus the harbinger of the end times. This is not the one you're looking for. Right. Like, uh, although I will say if, if a world government is something that you fear, this may be the one that you're looking for, because this one is going to bring itself to a rather abrupt end fairly quickly, I would think it is a study in ineptitude. That's exactly right. And when you take a look at the last couple of months, in particular in foreign policy, putting aside the border crisis, the financial crisis, the fiscal crisis that we have here in this uh, in this country, nowhere is that more evident than in Afghanistan, where the Taliban is now the third best equipped army in the world, thanks to us leaving boatloads of uh, machinery behind. And now uh, it seems like a lot of the generals are getting called before Congress. And it seems as though a lot of the things that the president told us are um, are not exactly accurate. I think the most glaring example is when he was asked if any of his uh, military advisors had told him that he shouldn't um, completely bail on Afghanistan the way he did and sort of um, hunker down in the commercial airport only to try to get as many people out as they could and fail in a large um, respect there. Um, but his generals went up to Capitol Hill this week to testify, and it seemed like uh, 
they were saying the opposite. I think they said that not only did they advise to keep a probably a skeleton U.S. crew manning the U.S. bases in Afghanistan, uh, but when they were also asked about whether or not the Taliban was uh, a country or government we could deal with um, and whether or not our mission there had been successful, I think they Mark Milley testified that the war was lost. So, uh, Brad, it doesn't look so good for uh, President Biden at this point. Well, it doesn't look good for anybody. I mean, it obviously doesn't look good for the Biden administration. Again, as it seems like you and I discuss almost every week, I don't know that you can really blame Joe Biden. I mean, I, I don't think he has any idea what he is talking about, where he is talking about it, or why he has been asked to talk about it 90% of the time. Right. But certainly the Biden administration, that crew, whoever it may be, that is currently running the executive side of our government has just made a soup sandwich out of all of it. And that, frankly, includes these generals. Right. So, I mean, of course, it's Washington, D.C. And, you know, some chickens are potentially coming home to roost here. And so everybody is in full blown cover your ass mode. Right. But I, I do recall a matter of weeks ago when this debacle in Afghanistan was unfolding, you know, before the world's eyes that, you know, Mark Milley didn't speak out then, right? He didn't step to the podium at the Pentagon. And as, you know, some have asked him to do, put his rank on the table and say, hey, this is crazy. We never should have done it. I told the president we shouldn't have done it. I mean, this is the same guy. And don't tell me, oh, we would have been breaking the chain of command. This is the same guy that called China when he had a previous commander, right? Didn't seem to have a problem with that. And so now he wants to step up and say, oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I now looking back on it, I actually did tell the president not to do it. I, I frankly don't believe any of those guys. And, and my hope is that in the not too far distant future, the actual truth will start to come out and that people will be held accountable for just the amazingly inept way in which all this was handled that cost lives. No, that's I mean, that's exactly right. And it's it is a shame. But look, you have the 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 president saying one thing where he said that he never received advice from his military commanders that we should maintain a force in Afghanistan after the August 31st date. And granted, he wasn't under oath. He was on the George Stephanopoulos hour, which is the next best thing, I guess, to being under oath. And then yeah. you have uh, Milley and General McKenzie going up there at Capitol Hill under oath and saying that they recommended having between 2,500 and 3,500 troops remain to man the base, the U.S. bases in Afghanistan, and to help support the Afghan government, uh, governmental army, which of course folded like a uh, like a lawn chair uh, as soon as we started to uh, pull out and stopped our air support. So, I mean, you've got a pretty big contradiction here. Now, again, I am not one to praise the prior administration. I've um, gone after them on a number of these radio programs, and I'll probably go after them on this radio program. But I will say this, if um, this same situation happened with the prior administration, articles of impeachment would already be advancing in the House. And what's troubling here is that you really don't have much buzz about this at all. And then you, as you just mentioned, you've got old, old General Milley calling Chairman Mao to talk to him about uh, uh, Trump, uh, President Trump at the end of the last administration and to say, look, don't worry, if he tries anything, we'll uh, we'll nix any uh, any attempted war with China. 
as crazy as that is, I mean, that call actually happened and it seems like it's outside the chain of command, but, uh, uh, but we are just in a, in a weird world where certain people don't have to um, answer for their actions and certain people have to answer for their actions multiple times. And it just, uh, the lack of consistency is troubling and it's going to be problematic ultimately for this country. Oh, it already is. And at the end of the day, I mean, I get why the questions are being asked. We live in a very partisan world at this point. People are looking for someone's hide to nail to the barn door. I, I get all of that. But the mere fact that you have to ask, hey, whose decision was it to leave hundreds of millions of dollars worth of very sophisticated weapons behind in Afghanistan? The answer to that question doesn't matter, right? I mean, it was the administration's decision and any kindergartner would know that was a bad idea. I mean, you happen to have a six-year-old living in your house who is admittedly of above average intelligence, but she is still six years old. If you were to pose the question to her, hey, you've got all of these things that are important to you, right? That are, that are valuable to you. And you have a choice. You can take them with you when you leave your house, or you can leave them for the next person that's going to occupy the house and then you tell her that that next person is her arch enemy, see what kind of an answer you get out of your six-year-old. Well, well, she better be careful, right? Because uh, that uh, same type of candor um, is something that was exemplified by one Lieutenant Colonel Scheller uh, of, the, um, of the Marines. I think he did a video where he, he just pointed out all the mistakes that were made in the Afghan withdrawal and and uh, what was left behind and how it was handled and how just dumb the whole thing was. And then he resigned his commission. And before he could leave, they put him in the brig where I think he he sits to this day. So you have to sort of be careful what you say, because you could end up in the brig. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the, the irony here and the just I mean, set aside the fact that that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's rights are almost certainly being violated at this point. Right. I mean, at least according to the reporting that you and I have in front of us, he has not been charged with any crime, right? He has not been given a trial date. He has not been charged with a crime. He's just sitting in the brig because what he had to say was inconvenient for those up the chain from him. I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. If all that has to happen for you to go to jail, I realize the Uniform Code of Military Justice is different then the statutes of the United States, when you sign up for the military, you sign up for, I get all that, but some basic rights still apply. And that guy is sitting in the slammer because he's currently inconvenient for his commanders. That is a terrible precedent to set. They have a, a effectively a political dissident that they have jailed like this is China, right? And the fact that they can paint that as they stepped outside of the chain of command is ridiculous. Millie is the guy who called the Chinese. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, well ironic. outside the chain of command. I mean, it, the irony is unreal. And now, as opposed to just letting that guy go, the, I mean, regardless of the truth of what he has to say, the way to handle that was you just let him go. You let him go off on his own. You let him say what he wants to say. You're still the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. You're still the senior executives in the department of defense. You're always going to have an outlet. For, for countering whatever he has to say. Some media guy will always put a mic in your face and let you say your piece. That's the way you do it. Instead, they jail him. I mean, that is just absurd. And that's never going away. 
No, it's not. And it's um, it, yeah, we've locked up. If you look at what's happened in this country, we've locked up all of the um, traders from January 6th, including the guy dressed like a Wookiee, who I believe was pretty drunk that day um, with no hearings, no ability to see people. And they're basically locked up without being charged. And now you've got this. Um, meanwhile, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is on the phone to Chairman Mao or uh, whomever uh, detailing what is and is not going to be allowed of, of a U.S. president's uh, um, foreign policy. So it, it it seems a little bit inconsistent. It seems a little bit troubling. And it seems like uh, um, there should be some ramifications for that. But after what's happened the last couple of years, I, uh, I, I doubt it. Um, I also think some of this falls in the last administration, right? Uh, quickly, Brad, a couple more points to uh, cover in Newsreel. It seems like the European Union is at it again. They have now announced plans by 2022 to require that all phones charge on a single plug, not one single plug, but a single type of plug, and uh, thus endangering Apple's whole charging scheme. The European Union, which is, again, a union of highly advanced countries that are better than us, um, have decided that the uh, USB-C socket, USB-C socket, Brad, will be the uh, socket of choice for your smartphone. What say you about that? Well, look, I'm just glad that we have the European Union out there to keep us on the straight and narrow. I mean, they've done a wonderful job with their economy. They've done a wonderful job with their foreign policy. They've done a wonderful job with managing immigration. And so I think if anybody's going to tell us what shape and size the little widget that you slap into the bottom of your cell phone should be, which I know for both you and I is a constant, you know, just sort of nagging. We can never get away from that concern. Is this the right thing to stick in the bottom of my cell? Is it shaped correctly? Is it flat enough? Is it round enough? I mean, the hours you and I have agonized over that, I'm sure is played out again and again and again across this fair country of ours. And so I'm just thrilled that we finally, you know, we can't handle it over here, but across the pond, you know, they have solved that almost interminable problem and thereby relieved millions of people from this constant nagging, frustrating, just kind of sense of disease that maybe that thing you're shoving in the bottom of your cell phone just ain't right. And I think, frankly, that's what we've got the European Union for. Thank goodness we have them there overlooking our shoulder and making sure that everything is right in the world. Brad, last item quickly on Newsreel, um, some disturbing news out of the state of Pennsylvania. Um, as you know, and you and I have discussed this um, at length, uh, Pennsylvania has a three strikes law that um, uh, covers a number of uh, uh, offenses and, and impacts people who have multiple strikes, in some cases one or two, but in most cases getting to three, uh, and um, requires certain prescribed penalties for those um, uh, those felons or, or criminals, I guess we can still say that. Well, a gentleman by the name of Joseph Sobolowski, who I believe is a, if you look at his family tree, is a direct relative of um, Theodore Sobolowski, who was the first cousin of um, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, apparently, he went into a uh, convenience store in Perry County, 
Pennsylvania, which is a, a, a you and I have been there before. We've spent time there. I think we've had Johnny Cakes there. There was a special two 20 ounce Mountain Dews for three bucks, right? So you get two for three bucks. Sobolowski wanted just one bottle. So he took one bottle, put down two bucks on the counter and walked out. So the store called the police because the one bottle, you didn't buy the two, you didn't give the three. The one bottle is two twenty nine, not a buck fifty, right? It's not a buck fifty for a bottle of Mountain Dew. It's three bucks for two, two twenty nine for one. That's why they're trying to incentivize you to buy two, right? And so he was forty three cents short, um, uh, you know, plus the uh, you know the, the the delta plus the tax, and he is now being held on a fifty thousand dollar bond, and because of the state's three strikes law is facing seven years in uh, in uh, in prison. That seems like a pretty good deterrent uh, to me, uh, Brad, for people that are trying to get one soda as part of a two for one, but not paying for the two. Um, but uh, it seems to uh, it seems to be a little harsh, don't you think? Well, I, you know, on the surface, yes. Right. But I mean, let's look at all of the relevant factors here. Right? I mean, first of all, Mountain Dew is horrible for you. Horrible. Right. I mean, it rots your teeth out. It's just that stuff is nearly poison. And so, you know, anything that would dissuade the average American from overly drinking Mountain Dew, then, you know, you want to you want to at least consider getting behind. Right. So Mr. Sobolowski now, if he does his seven years of time, will probably do it without Mountain Dew. I don't know exactly what beverages are on offer in the Pennsylvania prison system. But my presumption is there's no Mountain Dew. So you got it's like you an orange a crush, net, maybe. Yeah, there, crush. Might, there might be an orange crush or a grape Yoo-Hoo, knee high or whatever. Yeah. But you 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 won't have the Mountain Dew. So that that there is a net positive. But generally speaking, buddy, I'm with you because I I I, I suspect that when the legislature of Pennsylvania passed the three strikes law, what they were thinking about was you know, you give a guy a second chance, you give a guy a third, you know, so he commits his first crime, you give him a second chance, commits a second crime, you give him a third chance, he commits his third crime, you probably should be out of chances at that point. And generally speaking, I agree with that idea, right? I mean, if you can't figure it out after the first two times you've been jailed for a violation, then there's probably a larger problem there. Um, but this does seem, especially since it it, it seems like Mr. Sobolowski was trying to do the right thing. Now, why he didn't just stand in line and have the cashier say, well, it's actually 229 and whip out the extra 29 cents plus tax, I don't know. Perhaps he has an explanation for this. But if you're what you're trying to get to, and, and there's some facts we don't have here, buddy. We don't know what his first, if this was his third strike. Well, well, Brad, we you know what? what the funny, first two were. funny you, you should you say that. Know. Oh, okay. you should say that. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Uh, December 2011, he was arrested for stealing a pair of shoes from a Kmart. Now, I'm not sure if the Kmart was in Perry County. It was somewhere in Pennsylvania. Obviously, were they offering a two for one on the pair of shoes, or is this? They were. They were not. But he 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 didn't put any money down, and the shoes cost thirty nine ninety nine. All right. So he flat Um, stole the shoes. He flat stole the shoes. Uh, For that crime, he paid more than. $866 $866 in, in fines and fees and served three months in jail. So that he did that. And okay. then uh, two months prior to the soda theft, Sobolowski and his wife were accused of stealing craft supplies at Hobby Lobby. 
um, and they ultimately pled out on that on that charge. So then those are the first two strikes. This is the third strike. The two the two things that jump out at me on this are one exactly what you said about Mountain Dew not being good for you. I actually had a cousin who had Mountain Dew mouth. And if you look it up, it's not, it's not what you're looking for. Right. I mean, they're, you know, you just get no teeth left because the Mountain Dew has so much sugar and it's got those chemicals in it that it rots the teeth. And then you just like a little black stubs, like the emperor in the, in the star Wars movies, that's mm-hmm. one. And then two, the other thought I had was what has happened to our society that a guy throws down two bucks for a jar of Coke or Mountain Dew and they over, over, you know, 29 cents, 43 cents, right. They call the cops. I mean, (laughs) who is this clerk? Um, Who are these people? I mean, you, you don't just say, okay, fine buddy i'm 100 with you and there's your and there's your problem right i mean there was a point in time in this country and you know i realize we tend to look back with rose-colored glasses i get all that but there was a point in time in this country when it would have been at the clerk's discretion to go you know what i I got better things to do i got to go restock the uh ho-hos or whatever i'm not going to worry about this well, it would be and tasty cakes, Brad, and Pennsylvania would be tasty cakes. Tasty they, cakes. They right? love there tasty cakes. Yeah. And so he could have gone to do that. If for some reason he did call the cops, there certainly would have been a point in time within your and my lifetime when the cops would have showed up, looked at the situation, maybe given Sobolowski a little bit of a come to Jesus. Hey, buddy, you know, the economy works a certain way. You got to wait on the clerk. He tells you what it's, how much it's worth. You pay him that. He gives you your change. That's the way we do things. We don't just slap money on the counter and walk out but they would have cut the guy loose, right? But God help you. I mean, the, the, the profession of law enforcement is under such fire these days for all kinds of nonsensical bullshit that I'm sure the cops who showed up were like, hey, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not doing that anything that might step even a half inch outside of the book because I'm likely to lose my job and therefore my ability to support my family. So you know what, pal? You didn't pay the appropriate amount. So I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to put you in cuffs. I'm going to take you downtown, right? And yeah. then one would hope, buddy, the next link in this chain that we have created for ourselves in this country, right? The, the chain where the clerk can't let it go, the cops can't let it go, is going to be the prosecutor. And one would hope that the prosecutor would look at this and say, eh, I don't want to put a cat in jail for seven years for being shy 43 cents. Doesn't seem like justice, right? Because uh, Theoretically, that's our objective here is, is the concept of justice, which I realize is subjective. But, you know, that's what we're trying to do and, and maybe let this thing go. And if the prosecutor can't, then maybe the judge will. But who knows? Right. But we have created this culture for ourselves. Right. Again, we're a democracy. We have no one to blame but ourselves when things like this happen. Yeah. And it seems odd to me that a lot of people will talk about uh um justice then they'll just kick back have a nice refreshing mountain dew and watch this poor guy uh as he's uh, sent away for seven years but that's neither here nor there Brad. does he still get to wear the kmart shoes if he goes to jail i think he i think he had to i think those were confiscated he ended up paying uh, about 900 bucks and he didn't even get to keep the shoes that's correct see that that can't be justice all right, Brad, next we have the critically acclaimed segment that you like to call the razor's edge. Right. 
So, Brad, this week on the Razor's Edge, we've got uh, a whole uh, host of what I like to call political corruption that is taking place in this country. And it's so funny. Wait a minute. You you have a host of political corruption in I this do. country? I do. Huh. The Federal Reserve, which is just a cesspool of corruption and, and people who are above reproach and setting our, our fiscal policy ablaze over the past few decades. Um, but it turns out, my friend, that a bunch of the uh, uh, local presidents of the Federal Reserve, including the president here in Dallas, the one up in Boston, um, were actually day trading stocks, uh, which apparently is not illegal. Uh, how, how they're able to do it, I don't know. Um, it hasn't been barred or banned, um, but they're day trading stocks and at the same time setting uh, the monetary policy for this uh, country and being privy to all sorts of confidential information. I mean, how these companies um, can be allowed to be owned by the members of the Federal Reserve, the, the stock, the equity um, is beyond me. Why it's not in a blind trust, I have no idea, but um, we've now had two resignations um, the, the local president here, Kaplan, and the one up in, uh, in um, Massachusetts, Eric uh, Rosengren, have both um, resigned. Uh, and uh, who knows what else is, uh, is going on with the other members of the Federal Reserve. But the fact that this has even been allowed, and it's something that while they've resigned, um, is not illegal, it is not viola violating any Federal Reserve rule, um, is stunning. It's almost not stunning in its stunningness, right? Like every time you turn around, there's something like this going on in our government where it's self-dealing and it's taking care of yourself and it's doing it on the back of the public. And to your point, it's, it's not illegal. And so these governors on the board of the Fed are buying and selling individual stocks Meanwhile, the Fed is investing billions um, in you know, these corporate, uh, corporate bonds and, and corporate equities, especially during the whole COVID crisis. And presumably that uh, deliberation would have gone on with the regional chairs of the Fed knowing about it. And yet they're still engaged in trading in individual stocks. Again, this is not some index fund, right? This is not some mutual fund. This is not some blind trust. These guys are literally trading stock. I mean, it's certainly immoral. It's certainly unethical. It certainly shouldn't be done. You would like to believe that someone who is given a position like this on the Fed would perhaps recognize an opportunity for self-dealing and say, well, but you know what? I have enough personal integrity that I'm not going to do it. And, and, I, and I think that's actually where a lot of this comes from, right, is that people are given positions, you know, back in the day, however long ago, this, these positions were established, and someone could have sat down at that point in time and said, well, we better make some laws, we better make some rules, we better, you know, create some ethical guidelines and background so that we don't have things like this happening. But you know what we'll do instead? We'll just put people in these positions that have a decent sense of personal integrity, and then we won't have to worry about any of that. Unfortunately, the personal integrity ship left this country, apparently, years ago, right? And so now what you find is anybody who's given any position of responsibility from the president to his piece of crap son right on down is doing nothing more than looking for how they can get theirs and, you know, personal integrity be damned. 
And I, I think that's the problem. And the problem with that is that now what's going to result is we're going to have to hire 10,000 more government employees just to write ethical guidelines for all the other government employees. The next story we've got out this week is that 131 federal district court judges in this country have failed to recuse themselves when they're sitting before large corporate interests um, who's, uh, where, where they own some equity in that, in that company. Companies you know, like, again, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Walmart, huge conglomerates that are owned by these jurists who then sit in judgment in cases related to these, these companies. Now, I'm sure in many cases, um, they, they're, they, some of these are smaller investments. They're not as large as the ones going on at the Fed, but it's still, it's improper. It's all an outgrowth of sort of the shift in our culture, right? I mean, there was a time, and, and again, you and I are middle-aged, but it's not like we're in our dotage, although some may argue that we act like it. Within your and my recollection, the period of our recollection, there were times when a man's word was his bond. If someone said to you, I will do this or not do it, you were willing to say, okay, and move out based on that. Uh, then it also comes up, Brad, that the president is being charged with um, by again by Republicans. So this take this with a grain of salt. But in his disclosures, he's had about thirteen million dollars that he's uh, funneled through S corporations when he was out of office, and they're saying that he owes about half a million dollars in back taxes, which wouldn't be a surprise given some of the um, issues that his uh, sons have had uh, while uh, he was in office as vice president, and then again now. Unfortunately, we can't actually govern the country, executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch, because we're too busy sniping at each other and and not doing the job which we've been given to do at the governmental level. So, I, I, you know, I, I find this equally as disturbing. But if the guy owes half a million bucks in back taxes, pay it. You know, now, I realize that's a blithe thing to say when you're talking about half a million bucks for most people. But understand that you know, we have a longstanding history of presidents being able to make mad bank by just going out and talking for half an hour at some collection or other of hedge fund managers or what have you. So for a U.S. president, 500 grand is not a problem, right? And yeah. so if you owe it, just pay it, right? I, I don't, and, and with regard to the president's son, he's beyond redemption at this point. Great artist though. He's selling his paintings. They're available uh, on eBay currently. And uh, Brad, they there is talk of Hunter Biden uh, becoming a sponsor of IP Frequently. We don't know if that's going to happen yet. We don't know. We don't know. Um, but uh, some of that artwork is pretty compelling. It'll become more compelling if they become a sponsor. Uh, other big news in terms of corruption, Brad, we will not get into this in great detail because uh, it's just so um, mind numbing. But it looks like we're once again up against another government shutdown threat uh, that's coming up in the next few days. Also, we're about to hit the debt ceiling for this country, which I believe at this point is like three hundred and sixty eight zillion dollars. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Brad, are you concerned uh, as a business owner, a small business owner, but a business owner, nonetheless, are you concerned that the government uh, could shut down and maybe you won't get your uh, your mail? There are few things that would serve the small business owner better than the disappearance of the vast majority of the government of the United States. And one of the beauties of a government shutdown 
speaking as a former federal law enforcement agent, is that, you know, certain things that you look at and you go, "Mm, you know, we really need the government to do that. Those things are going to hang around right now. You know, even FBI agents get furloughed during government stoppages. That sucks because you work, but you don't get paid. But it is what it is, right? I mean, you sign up. That's an important job. You got to do it. So the truly critical functions of the government will continue to roll along at whatever rate and pace they're currently rolling along, whether for better or for worse. It's the unnecessary aspects of the government or the less necessary aspects, arguably unnecessary aspects of the government that will come to a halt. And that's good for the average small business owner. Again, Brad, uh, Razor's Edge, a, 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 an acclaimed segment. And there it is. We just, you and I just uh, uh, waded through the muck of the swamp and we've come out a little bit smelly, but unscathed, except for some mites. And a, the occasional leech. But that Correct. all comes with the government. But now, luckily, we're going into the healthcare portion of the show, COVID Corner, uh, where COVID comes to um, fester and eventually move on. Uh, Brad, first, United Airlines has announced, in line with the government requirements uh, to either uh, get all your employees vaccinated or pay for weekly testing, that they are going to be firing all of the employees, and they they employ about seventy thousand people in the uh, in the in the in the U.S. Uh, they're going to be firing any of the employees that refuse to be vaccinated and hiring vaccinated people in their place. Well, that makes perfect sense, buddy, because most of the jobs at an airline are not, you know, particularly complex or difficult or put other people's lives at risk. If you have a pilot who doesn't want to get vaccinated, you just fire that guy. You go find some guy that's vaccinated. Doesn't no, doesn't matter whether or not he can fly. As long as he's vaccinated, that's what's important. So you put that guy in the cockpit, you tell him, look, by and large, you want the lights to be green. If, you know, a few lights are red, you can probably ignore that. And you're currently in Chicago and LA is generally South and West from here. See what you can do, right? That's fine. You got a mechanic who doesn't want to get vaccinated. You just fire that guy and you go find a guy who critically important at this point who has chosen to be vaccinated and you hand that cat a wrench and maybe a socket. I don't know. It's been a while since I worked. Yeah. Lug nut something. And you put them on the line. Give him a hammer, Brett. Give him a damn hammer. Give him a hammer. Whatever it takes, you get them out there. You know, look, even the folks who are, who are at uh, reservations, I mean, how hard can that computer system be? I mean, there's what five, six flights a day. You just fire that person who's mastered the system and you hire someone who's had the good sense to get themselves vaccinated, you plop them down in that desk chair and you say, look, here's our reservation system. There's a couple of buttons over here. There's a couple of more buttons over there. Slap those things every once in a while. You'll get people where they need to go. That makes some, perfect sense to me. Get some who's wassets over there. Yeah, my, my, you know, who had a lot of tools when I was young, my dad, right? He would always, he had this tool bench in the basement. And we had this old... Um, uh, house. It was one of these you know, houses that was piled by uh, powered, heated by radiator heat. So you'd have this oh, big yeah. oil boiler in the basement. Yeah, yeah. It smelled like you were in a Texaco station. It was great. And uh, he had this big old piece of furniture that was his tool bench. And what he would do, and my dad, for those of you who don't know, he's an electrical engineer, smart, smart man. He has a bunch of patents in his name, um, but he had trouble with, um, you know, 
things, simple things like home improvement. And so uh, he would have this bench and he would just have tools piled on it. And, you know, they would need like a Phillips head screwdriver, like for some crazy project. And my dad would be like, go down to the tool bench and get the, the you know, the Phillips head screwdriver. And the way this tool bench worked was, right, there were drawers, but they were not, there was nothing in them. It was just, it was this big sideboard thing. And it was just the tools were just piled up, right? In some cases, That's America, my friend. Tool oh, yeah. bench, tools. That's yeah, tools. Some tools not open, some tools never used. Right. Some tools not open, never used, but constant. Go down to the tool. Okay, we can't find a Phillips head. We'll go to the hardware store. Go to the hardware store. You buy the Phillips head screwdriver. Right. You come back to the house. You use it. Then you take it, put this back. Okay, take it down, throw it on the tool bench. A couple of weeks later, you need a Phillips head screwdriver. Where I don't know. Because there's such a mess down there. You can't okay, go to the store. Buy. So when they moved out of that house, okay, he had, I think, about 30 Phillips head screwdrivers. He had like six hammers. He had like 15 of those little bone saws, although I'm not exactly sure what he did with those. And I'm not sure I want to know, Brad. I'm no, not sure don't. I want to know. Um, but anyway, he had a lot of tools. So he could have probably secured one of those positions. Uh, he's vaccinated, so he would fit in well. He will wear a mask if required. Um, so he could probably fit. He'd probably get the job now, only all his tools are gone because he left them at the house. Well, you know, I mean, again, you just go right back down to the hardware store. We've established this. You get the tools you need. And your dad, Roger, whom I know well and respect greatly, is a very friendly guy. He's a guy who wants to go along and get along and get the job done. And you know what? If you're United Airlines, he's the kind of guy you're looking for. It doesn't matter that he's not a licensed pilot or that he's not a certified mechanic or that he has no idea which buttons to press in the reservation system. He's a nice vaccinated guy. Get him in there. And he's happy to do it. He uh, he's he's available. He's also tanned, rested, and ready. So United, give him a call. Uh, next, Brad, in the COVID corner censorship, YouTube is banning all the anti-vaccine channels that they uh, run on the show. So, for example, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has a very popular uh, anti-vaccine channel on YouTube. Um, they're also banning a bunch of references to. Uh, uh, quote unquote misinformation, uh, people who are combating the uh, the vaccine um, and basically suggesting that folks shouldn't get it. Again, my position on this, it's a personal decision. The evidence seems rather overwhelming that the vaccine is effective at keeping people um, out of the uh, hospital and also keeping people out of critical condition that would, uh, as a result of COVID, jeopardize one's life. So I think it's a worthy cause. But again, I respect people's right to come to whatever decision they want. But it looks like YouTube is taking down uh, as part of this whole um, information control agenda is, is taking down information about uh, uh, about uh, from these anti-vaccine groups. That seems somewhat anti-American. Well, and buddy, again, this is the whole problem with social media. And, and I don't have a solution. I mean, you know, it's it, it's a complex issue. Everybody gets it. But we've become so dependent upon it, right, that we've it has actually taken over the avenues and the mediums through which we used to get reliable information, right? So because you typically had to pay for that and social media is free and, you know, it's oftentimes so screwy that it's compelling, you know, people just go to watch it, that, you know, no one is willing to pay for reliable information. 
right? And and so you you wind up with this problem, right? Is it within YouTube's purview to shut down things they don't? Yeah, they're a private business, right? I mean, we also don't want the government, for Pete's sake, after especially after all we said about them, we don't want the government mandating what private business can and can't do, right? That's certainly not the answer. So YouTube is a private business. If they choose to take stuff down, they choose to take it down, right? I mean, if, if it costs them dollars, then maybe they'll reconsider it, right? Because they are in business. But if that's what they want to do, they can do it. And because they control the narrative, this is the really dangerous part, right? It's, I, I'm not concerned with a private business being able to make decisions as to what it will do and not do. That is the nature of being a private business. And while some may say, well, well, what about government oversight? Good Lord, look at your government. You really want those people having oversight? right? So now you've got private business because America, by and large, the world, frankly, by and large, has bought into the social media model where we go to completely you know, just uncontrolled areas like YouTube for our information, which is nuts, right? I mean, 20 years ago, if you were to say, hey, there's going to come a day where you're going to go to a place where every lunatic on the planet can espouse their particular point of view. And you're going to have to weed through that all on your own, even though you're not an expert in any of these topics to figure out what's going on. You would have said, well, I, I, I can't see that. And I certainly hope that's not true. And yet that is where we are. And simultaneously, because it is a private business to whom we have given all of this power in terms of being the dispenser of stuff, they then control what of that stuff gets out and therefore they control the narrative. And that is a dangerous thing. And so, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm certainly on the side of private business being able to make decisions about how they run their business. But in this case, because of what else has happened societally with respect to this particular business, we have now handed the keys to the national narrative to whatever jackass is currently running YouTube. And that's probably not good. Probably not. But I'd say two things about the YouTube. One, anyone that would look at uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as sort of a source of information on the vaccine is, is I mean, I'm not saying you don't have the right to listen to him. Everyone should. But he's a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. If you, does that make sense? Like nutty, it does. Yeah, crazy. Especially if you've ever had a bowl of Cocoa Puffs, you know exactly what's going on there. Yeah, not not what you're not the greatest, not the greatest. OK, so that's one. Number two, YouTube is one of the greatest uh, institutions uh, around today. You can go to YouTube and you can watch the old Johnny Carson Tonight Show. You can watch the old uh, NBA games with the Boston Celtics from the 80s. You can find them on the YouTube. You don't have to uh, you don't have to get uh, bogged down in the uh, swamp of anti-vaccine uh, content. Uh, next, Brad, we go to the uh, award-winning segment on our show called the election analysis. And in this segment, you and I uh, continue to analyze the 2020 election. As you know, there have been a lot of claims out there about that election being stolen. The Republican legislature now in the state of Arizona has issued its recount report. Um, and the recount report shows that Joe Biden won by a few dozen more votes than uh, we uh, thought on election night. So it seems like lock, stock and barrel, we may have to call this one uh, for uh, uh, Joe Biden. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. My guess is that 98 percent of America was already there, uh, certainly to include the staff and listeners of this fine radio program. 
but you know what? I, I, I also don't have a problem. If you're going to live in an open society, if you're going to claim to have free and fair elections, I don't have a problem with auditing that process periodically, right? I mean, you and I, as we say a million times, we, we own a small business, we run a small business. It is a pain in the ass, as every small business owner knows, to have your books audited, et cetera, et cetera. But it's an important part of the process, right? You want to make sure that what you're recording as your current state of the business is accurate, because otherwise you just make poor decisions going down the road, things wind up compounding, it's no good, right? And so while I don't think the vast majority of America ever truly questioned the overall outcome of the election, neither is it a bad thing to kind of put that to rest, right? And if what it takes is an audit here or an audit there, and we're able to put that to rest and put it behind us, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And just remember, you can't spell audit without Audi. That's but- true. And that company likes to point that out. And if you're going to buy an Audi, they will throw in an audit of the transaction uh, for free, I understand. Yeah. Detailed Although they're not costs. a sponsor of this show, we have to make it clear. Audi is not a sponsor of this show and, and has no you know legal attachment to the show. But I, I do think the audit is a real thing. Uh, next, Brad, uh, we go to relationship rehab. This is where you help a young couple out uh, with their relationship, uh, hopefully steering them in the right direction and not towards the rocky shore that many um, of these love affairs end on. In death. Uh, This week, uh, we have we have a letter handwritten. Uh, Dear Brad, I hope this letter finds you well and in good stead. You and I share a love for the sea and for pugilism. So bravo. Bravo. Uh, Anyway, I'm writing about my relationship with my significant other. He has been somewhat aloof lately, not coming home on time, missing game night, uh, forgetting to put his baseball cards away. I think it's because his favorite football team, the Jets, is in an awful state. He has uh, fallen for this gang of losers many times over the years, and I am crestfallen. He also recently saw Prince Harry and the Duchess of Cornucopia with me in New York City. What a pair of fancy lads. He loved them, too. Um, can you help me out? Um, I really would like to have my lover back. Uh, signed, Norm in Atlantic City. Uh, P.S. Go Midshipman. Uh, Brad, uh, what say you to Norm? Well, Norm, I mean, I think the first question you asked that you have to ask yourself is, would you, would you like to have your lover back? I mean, this is a person by your own admission who has time and again fallen for the New York Jets. They suck, Norm. They're terrible. They're perpetually terrible. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, do I want to hitch my wagon? A man such as yourself, who appreciates both the sea and the pugilistic arts, do you want to hitch your wagon? to someone who has hitched theirs to the New York Jets? I say the answer is no. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Although I I do think Norm has a, I think you just move on. I do think Norm has an interesting point about uh, the the Prince and Duchess of of Cornucopia. Uh, They were in New York this week for the big um, World Global Initiative initiative. And I guess that's some big event where people... um, Fancy people get together and talk about the world's problems. And uh, anyway, I but but it was interesting as they were parading around the city with their security detail, how you have 
all these politicians, the mayor of New York, who I know you love, uh, the governor of New York, who's taken over for the guy that just had to leave in disgrace, and the senators and the Congress people just falling over one another to hang out with these these two. It's again, no one else to blame but ourselves, right? I, I believe the mayor of New York was elected. I believe the governor of New York was elected, perhaps not to that position. Uh, but wound up there out of some other elected position, senators likewise elected. We're, we are putting these people into the positions to make asses out of themselves. And typically, you know, this has happened to us, you know, even running our small business buddy, we have hired someone who turned out to be an ass. And that's sort of a gift because when they demonstrate for you, hey, they wave the I'm an ass flag, you get rid of them. For some reason here in, in the United States, when our elected officials wave the, hey, I'm an ass flag, we reelect them. Maybe we should stop doing that. And then, you know, many of these, you know, sort of trickle down issues would go away. I don't know, buddy. What do you think? I think that's probably a, a good idea. A good rule of thumb for whether or not you should vote for a particular candidate could could be did they fall over themselves in bowing to some chucklehead with a crown? I mean, you could start there. Um, you could say, did they you know kiss the ring of some narcissist who believes that they're the princess of the world? I mean, you could you could go there. So I think any of that would be a good rule of thumb. Um, but it's just time for those people to get out. And um, it, anyone that takes a picture of these two as they're traipsing around New York um, is, is a fool and gets ultimately, Brad, what they deserve. I think everyone should, at the end of the day, get what they deserve. That is, that is correct. And speaking of which, Brad, the uh, listeners have been waiting uh, for this. I know I was talking to another host here on CRN radio um, earlier this week about our program. And, and, and obviously there's a lot of electricity here. There's a lot of excitement. There are satellites beaming down patent information, um, temperature information, controlling saunas. Uh, and uh, they, 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 they said, listen, they said, you have this, um, the, these great segments, the razor's edge, you've got the COVID cubby and you've got, you've got barter band, which is one, at least one Brown Stevie award that we know of. How do you contain all of these great segments in one program? And the answer is we don't. That's correct. Yeah. And that's, that's that. But uh, this week, barter band, uh, this is where you and I search for the true meaning of the words barter band and try to apply one or both of them to a hot button issue of today. Ah, outstanding. Let's do and, it. I'm not, and I don't believe this involves any time travel whatsoever, although it is sponsored by a malt beverage. And who doesn't love a malt beverage? That's correct. That's correct. So this week, barter banned Brad parole for presidential assassins. Uh, should that be barred or banned? As you know, a couple of weeks ago, the uh, California Parole Board uh, recommended parole for the great, I'm sorry, not the great, um, the soon to be late Sirhan Sirhan. And uh, this week, um, John Hinckley was, uh, was uh, granted parole. Uh, John Hinckley, the would-be assassin of one um, uh, Ronald Wilson 
Reagan. Uh, so, so Brad, I know you were in law enforcement. You're also a boxer in the Navy. Uh, what did you, when you heard these stories, what uh, came to mind? Should these assassins and would-be assassins be let back on the street? Are they truly um, rehabilitated? Are they safe? Um, should Jody Foster uh, go into witness protection if John Hinckley gets out? What, what say you, Brad? But again, I think this depends. You, you would like to believe that parole boards know what they're doing. Now, I know all over the, this fine globe of ours, people are spitting coffee through their nose and choking on their yoo-hoos. I realize that. But I, I mean, if you don't believe in parole boards, then we should just do away with them, right? But if part of your judicial system involves this idea, which has merit, right, that you have been sentenced for a certain period of time, but the process has taken effect in a shorter period of time, such that those who are charged with making the decision as to whether or not you are safe to be released back into society, believe that you are, then off you go. If you feel like that should be part of our judicial system, then for better or for worse, you have no choice other than to trust the parole board is composed of people whose best interests are only putting folks back into circulation when they are ready, but doing that when they are ready, right? Not erring on one side or the other, uh, then, you know, this is where you're at. Now, if it's being done for political reasons, then like anything else done for political reasons, you almost certainly have a problem there, right? But if you believe that parole should be part of our judicial system, then for better or for worse, you put that process in the hands of the parole board and here's something I don't know, buddy, but you might because you're you're very knowledgeable of these sorts of things. How does one become a member of a parole board? Is that an elected position? I don't know the answer to that. I believe it's appointed. I mean, it depends on state to state, county to yeah. county. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I the answer is it, it depends, but I, I think I think by and large they're going to be appointed, not elected. I I think um, you know I. I What's interesting is watching the whole Sirhan Sirhan thing go down with all the Kennedy family fighting, you know, about whether or not they should oppose it. And the, the, the vaccine skeptic RFK Jr. is out there taking the lead on, on, on his release and the others say no. But, but, you know, it sort of begs the question, right? Uh, so you've got Hinckley and Sirhan Sirhan, and they're obviously, it looks like they're both going to be released. Um, but what about some of the other um, presidential assassins should there be some sort of leniency for john wilkes booth perhaps who brad some people think he's still alive in the tennessee foothills yeah i mean that's a good question buddy and i would say that if john wilkes booth is still alive that he should come in and you know sit down before the parole board and make his case i mean at this point in time to my knowledge he hasn't killed any other presidents this country or any other although i you know i can't prove that he didn't and so I would think after this period of time, if he's gone this long, if he's remorseful, et cetera, I think he should take his chances with the parole board. They're obviously in a mood to cut loose assassins, right? I mean, that seems to be the season that we're in. And so, you know, if ever you were going to come out of the Tennessee foothills and maybe, you know, get a chance to go into a a you know dime store, get yourself a bottle of pop, maybe pay for it, maybe not, maybe go back to jail for that, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, now's the time. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, right? Uh, um, you know, Hinckley has waited 
30 some odd years. Sirhan Sir Sirhan has been I I think he's about 40 years. Sirhan Sirhan's been 50 years. So why not John Wilkes Booth, who by the way was a great actor and there is precedent. Bill Cosby was just released. Um yeah, so point. Wilkes Booth was certainly on the magnitude of Cosby, one of the great Shakespearean stars. Uh Lee Harvey Oswald, another uh love pop. Uh, there's actually a story of him uh, being in that lunchroom in the Texas School Book Depository building, drinking a soda pop, a Coca-Cola uh, at the time of or shortly after the assassination. So, again, I'm not I'm not saying let him out. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying there's the possibility. Charles Guteau, uh, the assassin of one uh, uh, James Garfield is another one that could uh, we could talk about. And then Leon Cosgos, Leon Cosgos. That's not a name I'm familiar with. Uh, the assassin of William McKinley. Ah, see, these yeah. are things, you know, you know, the, our audience should take note of the depth and breadth of your presidential history knowledge. Yeah. And that's, 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 that it's broad. It's also somewhat deep, uh, shallow in some areas, Brad, shallow in some areas. I mean, squeaky from speaking of shallow, another one, she went after uh, president uh, Ford with that uh, squirt gun. And I believe you have a direct family connection to that near tragedy. He, 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 he the, the water almost ruined that suit. Luckily it did. It dried out. Um, but again, why not let her, uh, get out of prison? Although I believe she is living in, uh, Marin County, um, which is at ago. this point kind of a prison of its own. Frankly. Yeah, paying high taxes. But anyway, uh, you know, I'm going to say uh, for parole for presidential assassins, I'm going to say neither. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, you say neither. I say, you know, again, I don't want to ban or bar the idea of parole. Uh, I think it's a valuable part of the judicial system. I think it, it has its role. And so, you know, since I've said that, and I don't want to start drawing lines within the concept of parole with regards to presidential assassins living or dead or abiding in the foothills of Tennessee, I'm going to go with you on this. I'm going to say this is not something we want to ban or bar. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, one thing that's not being barred or banned or barred is IP frequently. Again, we've had another great uh, program this week, people are talking about it all across the country and across the globe in particular. Um, and so we have uh, fan clubs popping up. We encourage you all to um, look into the uh, look into the podcast that we have, the IP Frequently podcast. It's available anywhere you get your podcast. And also you can look us up at IPFrequently.com where you'll learn more about Brad. You'll learn more about myself. You can listen to old episodes and you can get some um, important private content that's only available on ipfrequently.com. This has been IP Frequently, once again clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome. <laughs>